Amen. Have a seat. It's great to be together. I'm Fred. This is Esther. He left my bike. And we are so uh, delighted to be here with you this morning. And so we are the main camp, the pastors at main campus. And we are celebrating our 27th church anniversary next week. So that's a huge thing. So 27 years ago, uh, we moved to Fresno to start Mountain View. And we have been married for 35 years tomorrow. And uh, right now, across all our campuses, we are in a series on relationships. And today, we are talking about marriage. So Fred asked if I would be up here with him, and together we talk about marriage. Right. So this is the second time we've done something together in all these years. So uh, hopefully it won't be another 15 years before the next time because it's going to be great today. That's what I told her. It's going to be awesome. So a couple things. Um, Zach was playing uh, guitar and Steph was playing bass. And here is a picture from their wedding. So that's our uh, second daughter. Our first is Roxana. And uh, she's married to Tony. And then our, um, we have another son, Joel. And we have another son, Josiah. And Josiah got engaged a couple days ago to Emma. So uh, there they are. And randomly and surprisingly, we were actually in Phoenix, Arizona, when they got engaged, which was on Wednesday. Wednesday. And uh, so they're going to be getting married sometime next year. So... That's encouraging. So it's, uh, you know, we wish they were here to hear something that we could tell them because, you know, it's hard. No, I'm just kidding. You can talk to your own kids about it too. Um, but we're excited to talk to you today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Ephesians, um, chapter 5, and Esther's going to read a passage for us. All right. So it's Ephesians 5, verses 15 to the end of the chapter. So it says, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be drunk with wine, because that will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves, and making music to the Lord in your hearts. And give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, now that would be me, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of his word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually loves, shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's also an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And so this is a... Uh, passage of scripture that talks about marriage. And I don't know where you guys are at today. Not all of you are married, but some of you are single or widowed or divorced. But all of us, if we are followers of Christ, we have a primary purpose. And that's the reason why we get up in the morning. And that's to 
to glorify Jesus, to bring him glory, and to learn how to enjoy him forever. And the primary way that we do that is becoming like Christ and also sharing Christ with other people. And so regardless of where you find yourself in, that is your purpose. That's why you get up in the morning, to glorify Christ, to become like him, and to make him known to other people. Now, within a marriage relationship, our primary purpose doesn't change, but it's the relationship that God has established that helps us in that pursuit. So when we got married, we, uh, we chose a verse um, that was going to be our verse for our wedding because that's what we were supposed to do to write on the invitation. So we picked a verse. Do you remember what it was? Yeah, it came out of Proverbs, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. So my father-in-law-to-be, Esther's dad, sat me down and said, what are, you, what are you picking a verse like that for? Do you think there's going to be lots of sparks in your marriage? And I said, yes, in many ways. Um, and he was like, well... <laughs> You can't have that verse. I'm like, why? He says, like, it sounds like there's going to be like, you know, yeah. And I'm like, look, we're both strong, stubborn, controlling people. And we are going to help refine each other so we can be like Jesus. So, yeah, we just thought that was a great verse. That's what marriage does. It, it, it helps us be refined and changed and shaped to be more like Jesus. And, you know, there's nothing more, there's nothing better than a marriage relationship that tests our true Christianity because all of our flaws eventually come out. All of our insecurities, our control issues, our pride issues, our bitterness, our um, whatever it is, well, eventually selfishness. surfaces. Selfishness. Yeah, all that stuff surfaces within a marriage relationship. And it's the relationship where we can work through that. And in the midst of all that dysfunction, all that sin, God has said, this is a relationship that's, that I'm going to use primarily to make you more like me. So did we pick that verse? No, we picked a different verse, and I can't remember what it was. But yeah. in the back of our minds, we're always thinking about this. That was our verse. verse. It just wasn't, we weren't allowed to have it on the invitation. But we did that because of what it does, because we are people, we're all the same, and, and we're selfish. And we've got challenges, and we want to help each other work those through. So that's the primary purpose, um, is to glorify God. And we help each other do that. There's a, The primary purpose of the marriage covenant, though, is to just demonstrate to the world the relationship between Christ and the church. To show the world what, what that relationship is like. And that's a challenge. Um, and we ask ourselves the question all the time, when people look at our marriage, do they see how Jesus loves the church? Do they see how I love Esther? I ask myself this question. Do the people see how I love Esther and can say, man, that's a good example of how Jesus loves the church? And as a wife, uh, my purpose and my responsibility is to exemplify the relationship that, that the church has with Christ. And so I need to ask myself, am I demonstrating that within my relationship with Fred? Am I respecting him unconditionally? Am I submitting to him in a way that is honorable, just as the church submits to Christ? So in the book of Malachi in the uh, Old Testament, um, there's an example of that. And when, when God talks about it, he, he talks about marriage a lot as if there's, um, in the way the church or the people of God submit to him and his, his authority. And when they f leave him and follow other gods or idols, he says they're committing adultery because they've, they've left their covenant relationship. So in Malachi, it says it this way. Here's another thing you do. 
You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping, and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you made with your wife when you were young. When we get married, there's a whole group of people that watch it, but the primary person that witnesses our marriage is the Lord. He is the witness of our marriage. When we do weddings, we say things like, before God and these witnesses, you have covenanted with God and each other to live together in the holiest state of marriage. So God's witnessed it, other people have witnessed it, and you've made a covenant. A covenant's different than a contract. A covenant's based on trust. A, coven, a contract is based on distrust, so we have to write it down. A covenant is based on unlimited responsibility and blessings, where a contract is limit, based on limited liabilities, so we're protecting ourselves. A covenant can't be broken but a contract can be voided and people walk out of contracts all the time. And sometimes they just pay penalties to get out. But God watches the marriage covenant and witnesses it. Just like God himself gave away the first bride. God walked Eve down the aisle for Adam. God instituted marriage. This was a God idea. And, and when this happens and we look at it, we say, you know what? We want to walk and live in marriage we want to see it generation to generation to generation that there's marriage. Not generation to generation to generation where there isn't marriage, where people don't live together, where there's just live together, where there's divorce, where there's separation, and where there's conflict. We want to see this covenant go. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. But you have been unfaithful to her, though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. Didn't the Lord make you one with your wife in body and spirit? You are his. And what does he want? Godly children from your union. So guard your heart. Remain loyal to the wife of your youth. For I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. And therein lies the challenge that we so often face it in marriage, is to walk that road. I don't do a lot of weddings anymore because all the young guys get asked to do them because they have a relationship with the people getting married. But awesomely and surprisingly, I was asked to do a wedding last week, and I said, yes, I would love to. And part of it's because I love doing premarital counseling. And I think I've gotten better at it over the years. And one of my things that I challenge people to is to say... Just never use the word divorce. There's no option to leave the covenant that God has witnessed. You have to work it out. Yeah, so when I, when I think about we made a, a covenant to be together forever uh, until we die, basically here on earth, um, and that's a covenant with, you know, boundaries and restrictions, and that's actually a really good thing. It's different than a relationship I might have with you know, one of my girlfriends, because when things get tough with a friend, you know, I can leave that relationship and find a different friend. But in a covenant marriage relationship, there's no exit for me. And so I'm never going to separate my relationship with Christ from my relationship with Fred. Because to the degree that I love Fred is really to the degree that I love Christ. And so I am forced to have to work at issues and problems and conflicts 
that come up because I'm committed to this long term and I want to have an enjoyable life. Jesus says things to us like this, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never abandon you. Nothing can ever separate you from my love. And we have this relationship with God. And if we're supposed to demonstrate in a marriage that kind of relationship, we live those same kind of things. So I look at Esther say, I, and say, I will never leave you. I will never abandon you. I will never forsake you. Nothing will ever separate you from my love because I am demonstrating to you what Christ has demonstrated to us in our relationship to him as part of his body in the church. So we want to live that out. But we have a secondary purpose uh, in our marriage relationship, and we live it out in four different ways we're going to talk about briefly. And uh, those four ways that we live it out, um, if we're not careful, can take primary residence in our lives. They can become like idols. And, and what's an idol? Yeah, an idol, an idol is anything that we're looking towards to deliver us or to satisfy us completely. And marriage can become an idol. Uh, kids can become idle. Um, the pursuit of companionship or selfish gain can become idle. Um, anything we put above Christ, basically. So we start with companionship. Companionship is a great thing. Like we actually want to be together. I mean, it's one of the, the goals of marriage is we enjoy to being together. We, we like to be together. We enjoy our time together. But when that happens, it costs us other things. My, my, my goals, my dreams, my beliefs, my challenges, the, all the things that I was hoping for in life that were all right out there changed when we got married because I, I'm not alone anymore. Uh, I have a, a life companion a friend, someone I've committed to. And all of my personal stuff has to take second place because I lay that down for the sake of my love, my relationship, my marriage, the intimacy with Esther. Yeah, and so after we got married, we basically figured out how to move together towards the things that the Lord had for us. No longer were we living separate lives, but we were joined together and God had a purpose and a vision for us together as a as a couple. Yeah, so I liked playing tennis a lot, and I loved to play tennis, and I played a lot of tennis. And uh, when we, we got married, we, well, when we were dating, we went and played tennis, and I thought, we are never going to play tennis because the ball would go over the net and never come back. Um, the last time we played tennis together, Esther was, uh, was pregnant and said, let's go out and try a little tennis. Maybe I'll, you know, it'll start the, you know, the process along a bit. And I still remember just looking at the ball and tracking and hitting a top hand, forehand spinning drop shot and just caught her right in the belly. And, um, that was pretty much the end, last time I think we've pretty much ever played. Yeah. And, uh, I remember the first time taking Fred skiing, you know, he has bad knees and he could only turn one way. And that's not a good thing when you're going downhill. And I thought, you know what? I'm probably going to have to move away from skiing, and we're going to have to find things that we really enjoy doing together if we want to continue to develop companionship and a relationship that's really enjoyable. Yeah, and, you know, since then, I play tennis with my kids when they want. Um, we've been on a couple of skiing vacations. I took Esther on a skiing vacation, just us with another couple. And she's like, what are you going to do? I said, I'll figure it out. You guys can ski all day, every day, 
and I will do something else. Um, but it wasn't early in our relationship, if that makes sense. Like we were trying to find stuff to do together. And part of the challenge we faced in the companionship was, was you know, Esther's like, would always be like, no, 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 it's more efficient if we do this separately. Like we can do this. And I'm like, no, I want to do it together to be together. That's why I got married was to spend time with you. So this last week I had some meetings and that's why we were randomly conveniently in, in Phoenix when Josiah got engaged. And uh, I was going to drive his truck back because he's in, he's in university there and he was flying to his girlfriend's family anyways, and then just fly him back, back to Fresno. And early in our marriage, if I said, Hey, let's, let's go out. I got stuff. I'll just bring you out and then we'll drive a truck back together. A little, small, teeny, uncomfortable truck, what would you have said? Yeah, I mean, I would have said, no, that's not really efficient. You should just drive at home. Why would I spend time and money to fly to Phoenix just to drive back home with you? Um, but for the sake of companionship, and I've grown to understand how important that is, uh, you know, that's something that's a priority. And sometimes, you know what, it's a give and take relationship. So sometimes Fred joins me in things that he doesn't particularly like to do. And sometimes I join him in things that I don't really like to do. But because we're committed to developing relationship, it's a, it's a relationship of sacrifice where we basically serve one another and as a result end up being companions. And you, and you have to make it a priority because life changes, right? So, you know, you, you may have heard the term, I, I mean, I don't play golf, but I've heard there's golf, you know, widows or widowers because one person goes and plays and it takes a long time and the other person's home alone. But I look today and I think, man, there's video game, you know, widows or widowers, right? Like they play video games. Like I have guys I know who tell me, I, only, I don't play a lot, maybe just four or five hours a day. And I'm like, you're married. What does your spouse do? Like... You just have to say, like, what are we going to do to grow together in our relationship? Now, we're, we're not the perfect example at all. We made a couple of good choices that would even be super hard today to do because it's so much broader. The challenges are so much greater. We didn't have TV when we first got married. We chose not to. It was nine years before we got one. And we talked. Now we'd have to say no TV at, you know, whatever time we turn off the phones, the tablets, the iPads, the, you know, you know what I'm saying? But you choose, are we going to do stuff that we do together or do stuff that we do on our own? And that's a conscious decision. And we want to encourage in that. So, so one great way to do that, and I know you probably hear this from, you know, Pastor Ken all the time, and you should, is um, you can read your Bibles together and do shape. Now, we don't sit down together and with our coffee or with whatever and, you know, read our Bibles, write in our journals, and then, you know, 30 minutes later, look up at each other or 40 minutes later and say, let's talk about what we wrote. We talk about it later in the day. We do it whatever. Sometimes we do it together, but a lot of times, I mean, we're gone at different times and there's life. But if we read our Bibles and we talk about what God is teaching us together, that draws our hearts together and we can become one. Yeah, because when we think about if we are a follower, of, a follower of Christ, our spiritual lives impacts and influences our companionship. And so having spiritual rapport, being able to talk about what God's doing in our lives, being able to pray for one another, uh, just spontaneously praying in the car, just bringing Christ into our relationship, into the activities we do, helps everything. Right, and it happens because we're in a habit of doing it. 
So when some crisis happens, it's not like it's weird to all of a sudden say, hey, let's pray together. And we want to get in the habit of doing that, and we want to grow together in that and in those things, and we want to bring them together in a way that, that brings life for us. So we, we walk in those ways. And then the challenge in companionship is to not let the kids come and squeeze your relationship out. Um, there was points when I would say to Esther, you know, we have four kids. I'm on the list. I think I'm fifth. I was just glad we didn't have a dog, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and as the kids got older, it, it shifted a bit because then I'm out doing this with the kids and that with the kids and this with the kids. And if you're not careful, the kids pull you into different directions and your time together kind of ends up on the side. Yeah, because when you're, when you're our age and we're empty nesters now, we still want to be friends and companions and not look at each other and say, who are you? Because the kids are gone. Yeah, and the goal is the two become one. And the easiest way to become one is sexually. That's super easy. You figure that one out, no problem. But then you want to join together to be one financially, intellectually, emotionally, relationally, and every other way. And, and then that leads to enjoyment, which Esther is going to talk about here in a sec. But, you know, when I meet with a guy and he's like, I don't feel like I'm connecting. I don't feel like I've got this relationship, my companionship. You know, and I'm like, well, here's a simple thing. Pull out your phone and... Uh, Tell me, you know, one of your close friends, I know who they are. Tell me how many times they text you before you respond. And the answer is usually, well, once. I'm like, all right, now pull up your, uh, your wife. And how many times does she text you before you respond? And I'm like, there's the problem. They're not your best friend. Everyone's best friends when they get married. But your best friend is, is companionship. It's someone you long to be with. You want to share the good things and the bad things. Something happens. They're your first call. They're your first text, you know? Like, they're the one that you long to be with. And when that wanes, we should remind ourselves why we got married in the first place and then re-engage that part of our hearts. Yeah, so another blessing, another secondary purpose of marriage is enjoyment, which flows right out of companionship because you can't enjoy yourself sexually or relationally or intellectually with your spouse if you're not uh, in unity with them, if you're not friends with them. And um, so, again, for us to really enjoy each other, we have to be humble, we have to be transparent. When we sin against each other, uh, we have to ask God to forgive us. We have to make amends, ask each other to forgive us. Uh, we have to always work towards reconciliation and just keep doing that over and over and over again. Repent, make amends, be reconciled because we're constantly, we're always sinning against each other. But if we, if we forget to do that and we don't talk about things, we're not going to enjoy each other because we're going to become bitter and stubborn and selfish. So our companionship leads to enjoyment because we keep short accounts with God and with each other. And uh, part of my responsibility, and we'll get to that in a minute, is to, to lead the way in, in apologizing and repenting and making sure there's peace in our relationship. But there's also fruitfulness. Yeah, the marriage is designed also to have kids. Uh, when we talk about what does God want, he wants kids to be conceived within the marriage covenant. He doesn't want us to have kids outside of the marriage. Um, but he wants us to have kids inside of marriage, and, and it's within that covenant, it's within that home that those kids have an opportunity to grow up in a home uh, where they're loved and esteemed and protected. And that's the last one, that's protection. And um, my job as a husband is to provide and to serve 
um, my wife to serve Esther, but it's also to protect her. Um, I'm, I'm willing to lay my life down for her. Now, on the big things, it's super easy. It's the little things where my protection and my, my love um, gets tested. You know, we're making a cup of coffee, cleaning up the kids' mess, you know, albeit if you have to, weeding. Like all the things that, you know, you want to do are easy, right? The things you don't are hard, but that's part of the protection piece. And we'll talk about three simple things, the three biggest challenges we face. The first is money. Um, we tithe. That's a starting point for us. We do more than that, but we started by, and I told her when we got married, we're going to give 10% of everything we, we get. 10 cents of every dollar. Um, it's got a red light, so I think the battery's dead. We'll share. We know how to share. Um, we give 10 cents, and if not, you just saw it for the first time. <laughs> 10 cents of, of every dollar. Uh, you know, like, like we, we want to tithe. And, and what happens when you tithe is what we really believe is you place yourself under God's blessing and under his open heaven. And I, I, I really believe that. I grew up believing that. I believe that as a, as a pastor. I believe that as a husband. Um, when my two kids got married, I, you know, I gave them away, right? There were girls, the first two. So I had a, an opportunity to talk to my to-be son-in-laws when they asked me, and I gave them three pieces of advice, and I told them I'd never give them any more advice or share anything with them unless they asked me from then on. And you can check with Zach, but I've really worked hard to, to do that. And, but one of the things I said was, I'm, I'm asking you before God to tithe, because I've spent my whole life placing my kids under the open heaven and the blessings of the Lord, and I'm asking you to keep them there. Live under the blessings of Jesus, the provision of Jesus, the glory of God. And I, and I really believe that where, where my treasure is, my heart's going to be. And I want my kids' treasure in, and heart to be in heaven as well. Wow, I get the mic. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, when I think about protection, I think about, you know, what the Bible talks about in this passage. It says, so wives should submit to their husbands and everything. And the whole issue of submission comes in and kind of the hierarchy of, of the marriage structure and how authority works within that. And, you know, as it's illustrated that Christ is the head of the church, you know, Fred is in headship over me and I'm called to submit to him and to respect him unconditionally. And when I stay within that parameter, that brings protection to me as a woman. And when I look at what does submission actually look like and what does it mean, um, it's not agreeing on everything. It's not leaving my brain at the altar. It doesn't mean that I don't try to influence Fred. It's not putting Fred's will before my own, uh, before God's. It doesn't mean that I re rely on Fred for all my spiritual strength. And it doesn't mean that I'm living or acting in fear. But what submission really means is that I respect Fred as uh, the one that God has chosen to lead me. I create room uh, for his leadership. I ask him about decisions that I need to make. We talk about it together. We come to a conclusion. Uh, but I know that God has given the responsibility to lead our marriage to Fred, and he's called me to submit to that and to cause it to flourish and to use my gifts to support what God is talking to us about together as a couple. So how does that work out in the area of money, which we're talking about? 
Okay, so when I think about money and submission, for me, that's, that's a tough one because uh, as women, a lot of times we say we want equality, but we really want dominance and we want to call the shots. We want to make the decisions. And I remember early on, uh, there was a financial investment that Fred wanted us to make and give a certain amount of money every month towards that. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. Like, we need the money right now. We don't want to, you know, invest in the future. And we'd have these battles about it. And he just said, you know what, we're going to do it. And I'm like, okay. But I did it grudgingly. And, you know, when we lacked, I would be like, you know, if we only had that money, we wouldn't, you know, be struggling so much. And I'd bellyache about it as opposed to thinking, you know what, I'm going to trust him. He thinks this is a wise move. I'm going to support him. I'm going to pray for him. And uh, I'm going to trust that God's going to protect me, even if his leadership isn't perfect at times. Yeah, so it wasn't like, for me, it wasn't like, uh, we're doing this no matter what. We had to come to an agreement, and we came to an agreement. Um, it's just that there wasn't as much joy on Esther's side of the agreement, which I figured out later. Um, but it was never, uh, we're doing it no matter what. Because that's not loving leadership either. So we took a long time to get there. Um, but when we got there, it may have taken a little bit longer for you to still enjoy it, but it worked out well. The other is, uh, so then there's the sexual side. And, you know, as guys, we, need to, we just need to guard our eyes. And you do as women as well. Pornography is a problem for men and women, and it brings death to a marriage. You can't get around that. It brings death to a marriage. Um, Men are driven, you know, to pornography often out of loneliness or abandonment um, or conflict. Women, it's more of an emotional need. Um, but either way, it doesn't work out well. It creates division. It creates a false identity. It, it fills your life with something that's not from the Lord. And it destroys companionship and relationship on every level. The worship team, you guys can come on up. We're winding down. So we have money that we struggle with and we have to figure out how to work together. Sex, we have to figure out how to work together. And then there's power. And um, that's the dominance piece that Esther just talked about. Um, we, money, sex, and power are temptations in all of our lives, but power it can be you know, protective or it can be abusive. And when it's loving and when it's kind and when it's gentle, um, it takes power to protect a marriage. And it's, it's such a gift from the Lord. And in the midst of that, in the midst of power, I would say again, um, we shouldn't celebrate things that are violent. Um, again, I would say be careful what you watch, what you listen to, and what you see. You know, it's easy for us to sit back and look at the Romans and say, oh, those gladiatorial games, they were so violent. Um, there's lots of things that are violent on TV and on videos and on video games and on movies. And, and I'm just saying, I'm encouraging you, those will not um, lead to, to joy. Uh, in a relationship. We need to be careful what we do around money and around sex and around power. And when we do that, we walk into the empowerment of the Spirit to love unconditionally throughout every season of our marriage covenant. We need the power of God and the power of His Spirit. Apart from the power of the Spirit, we, we can't love unconditionally. Uh, we can't serve together. We can't care for each other. We can't be like Jesus. We can't bring Him glory. The power of the Spirit gives us love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. We can't get that on ourselves because if, if we could, we would do it. But we really are desperately in need of the presence of the Lord. And my encouragement to us as we close 
is we can respond. You can stand, you can kneel at the front, the sides, and we're basically just saying, you know, with our actions, God, we're asking you um, to fill us again with your presence and your power so we can bring you great glory um, by how we live. We want to come as couples if you're here together and say, man, we're committing our marriage and our lives afresh to the Lord to give honor and glory to him. You can come and, and say, you know, I'm praying for someone who's married or I want to be married. And we're laying it again before the Lord and we're trusting God in the midst of that because we need God to break into those things. So let's stand. Let's take a moment. And we're going to pray.